This episode of the React Podcast is brought to you by reacttraining.com. In-person, hands-on training for development teams from React community leaders and experts. Visit reacttraining.com to learn more. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the React Podcast. I am your host, Michael Jackson, and I have a very special guest with me today, Mr. Jared Palmer. Say hi, Jared. Hey, how's it going? So Jared, if you do not know who Jared is, you've probably been kind of living under a rock. Jared has been doing a lot of cool stuff recently in the React community. Most recently, he released a library called AfterJS. He's done a library called Formic and another one called Razzle, as well as lots of other stuff. So anyway, I just wanted to get started with Jared. By the way, he's he's in New York City. So if you're in New York City and you want a cool person to hang out with, uh, I'm around anytime. Um, oh, and you also do like a bunch of reason stuff, right? You run the reason meetup in yeah, in try, try, trying to. It's it's been it's been you know it's hard to get speakers. Everybody's everybody's it's big in Europe. It's big in 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 on the West Coast, but it's it's hard to find a consistent number of speakers. I'd have to say for the reason meetups. But yeah, we're do, we're trying to do we're trying to do another one soon. Yeah, the reason uh, community is it's still very very young, but um, but if 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 anywhere you could find a, a meetup that that I think would work, it'd probably be New York, right? You could probably. Lots of developers in New York, lots of talent. Yeah, the, the one we did, the one we did last summer was very well attended. There were like uh, 50, 60 people there. It's pretty cool. Well, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. Um, I, I just wanted to talk about a couple of these uh, projects that you've been working on. So, uh, so let's start with Razzle, which I think is, uh, it's not directly related to React, but it is a, you know, I think it'll be really interesting to the people listening to the podcast because it is a a JavaScript library, right? It's for making universal JavaScript apps. Yeah, yeah. So Razzle was, it's it's a build system. So it's basically a thin layer over Webpack. And what's cool about it is that it actually is, as you mentioned, completely framework agnostic. And what I mean by that is you can use it with anything you can use Webpack with. So Mm -hmm. uh, the, the common thread there being JavaScript, but if you wanted to use it with view or you wanted to even work on some uh, even add like elm to it or if you wanted to do stuff with reason you can do that as well uh mm-hmm. the default is react um and the the reason i sort of built it was i had uh i was like a really early adopter of a of a project called next.js mm-hmm. and i probably like jumped on and i was using it for a pretty big project and there's just like a lot of churn and now it's come, you know, it's, it's miles ahead of where it was back even just that like a year and a half ago or so. Mm-hmm. And then I moved to this project called um, Kit by the New York Times, KYT. Mm-hmm. And that's their like webpack set up for isomorphic universal apps um, for server-side rendering and, and stuff. And that was cool, but it was still pretty opinionated and I wasn't really in control of the project. Mm-hmm. But I like this idea uh, that um, Kent Dodds and, and Dan Abramov have been uh, championing, which is like build a toolkit, don't build a boilerplate. Mm-hmm. And I had this like boilerplate actually that was pretty popular called like React uh, Production Starter. I don't know why I decided to call it that, but it was it was pretty popular. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, I need really need to upgrade this, and it seems like it's probably a good time to just to, to do that. And so what I did was I uh, I built a toolkit, much like create react app actually but with um server-side rendering kind of like ready to go and by the time i was done i was like wait a minute react's not actually what i've sort of like this is not dependent on react at all 
mm-hmm. this could be used for a whole host of stuff. So if, uh, if you're going to use uh, Razzle, you're also going to buy into Node.js on the back end. Is that right? Uh, well, not for like necessarily your API, but to the extent that you need it for server-side rendering, then yes. But I guess if you're doing server rendering in React, like you don't have many options except for using Node. Absolutely. Yep. I think there may be like one other, one or two other products, like the PHP thing, but I haven't seen much use of that or heard many yeah. people using that. I built a little uh, standalone thing. Uh, I don't know if I showed that to you. I called it React Standard I.O. Oh, yeah, I saw that. React I've seen that. STDI. It's, That's pretty it's, cool. It's nothing like fancy. It really is just a little... Uh, script that just you point it to a component and then it anyway i was uh, i was thinking about uh you know taking that a little bit further and wrapping that up into like a you know a library for php or a you know a, an elixir library or something actually I had a no, it, come, it would come in handy to be honest like uh, i was working on some some wordpress site and i really yeah. wanted to use a, a nav bar that i had written in react and i was like uh be great if i could server render this yeah yeah I feel like the the two worlds are they're going to converge at some point and it's going to be beautiful when they do. Hopefully, hopefully. So you were kind of scratching your own itch. Now, why don't you why don't you let us know like what what kind of stuff are you building? You work at the Palmer Group, right? Yes, yes, yes. So um what are you what are you guys doing there? So we're building a lot of applications for um ourselves uh and also um our clients which range from like big media companies to Fortune 500 companies to um, trade associations uh, at varying levels of sophistication uh, with with respect to their engineering teams. And so um, a recent project of mine that I've been working on for a while has been this um, Pinterest-like UI for one of our best, that's the best way to describe it, for one of our, for one of our clients. Mm-hmm. And that's needed this kind of, of Razzle as a build system or okay. sort of setup where, or I should say tooling, I guess, uh, with... Um, server-side rendering, uh, and then also React Router 4, which is a bigger reason also why I didn't really just scratch, you talked about scratching the itch, is one of the reasons why I really wanted to um, build something uh, that could leverage React Router 4 that uh, with a server-side setup. So awesome. that's where Razzle kind of sort of felt, that's what sort of prompted Razzle. And then also after about six to eight months of doing doing that, after JS is basically the way I've been fetching data abstracted into a library of components. Mm-hmm. You know, I've been, uh, I'm actually really glad that you built, uh, you know, Razzle in after JS. Uh, Ryan had, had built something back in the day called the React Router Mega Demo. And there were a couple of, uh, a couple of people I know who just like, did you ever see that thing? The React Router Mega yeah, Demo? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was for like early versions of React Router. And I know a couple of people just kind of forked that thing and like made their whole sites from it. You know, um, I, I talked to, uh, uh, I talked to, uh, Mark, uh, Dal Gleish down in Melbourne, Australia. And he, he's, uh, he was building, uh, you know, his whole product basically, he was like, yeah, we just forked, uh, that thing and, and, and just built our product based on that. I think in general, uh, a lot of people have kind of had this question about like, okay, so React Router, we're using it. How do we do server-side rendering with it? How do we, you know, tie it into the rest of our, you know, the rest of the app that, that we're building here? Um, and nowadays, whenever anybody asks me that question, I just, I just point them to after. I'm like, well, this guy did it. Take a look. Um, so anyway, it was, that's a personal that, thank you to be me. No, well, you're very welcome. Actually, after came from like, I saw a gist because I stalk Ryan's gists all the time. 
Um, it's one of my favorite things to do. No, um, but um, <laughs> he wrote it. He, but Ryan's got some great gists to yeah. to there, and he he did like this. He did a uh, when React Router four obviously came out, it was pretty controversial. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, once I I got the hang of it, I like saw the light. Mm-hmm. But um, people were still really confused about static route configuration. Mm-hmm. Right, like, and 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 still, they are pretty confused about it because in the concept of React Router four, for everyone who's listening here that hasn't played with it yet, um, what a route means to React Router four is very different than what a route means in other frameworks and such, and even other libraries in React. Um, it's just a component, and so wrapping your head around that takes a second. And one of the cool like demonstrations, which to you, to you and Ryan's credit, you guys sort of had in mind, which is that like. Even with components, you can have you can do static analysis, and so mm-hmm. that's where this example sort of demonstrated how to like take an array of your components, uh, run through it, mm-hmm. um, maybe well, grab. I mean, a, we do that all the time, right? You you, right, you go yeah. and you fetch some data from the server or whatever, and maybe you've got a list of items that you want to render, and so you know in your render method, you just sort of map through those and churn out a bunch of list items or whatever. It's yeah, it's it's not too much different. The only I mean, gotcha, I guess, is um, back to the ES6 part of all this is. Um, I like to co-locate the data fetch mm-hmm. with the component itself, mm-hmm. similar to the way Next.js works. With and I do that with a static met- method, just like get initial props. That's really the, one of the super brilliant ideas of, of Next, mm-hmm. and that's where you I'll copy that into into after. But you know, you could just put that on your array, like whatever the the promise is going to be that you're returning to get your data or your initial props. Mm-hmm. You know, that could be put anywhere. Um, there are actually some benefits to not putting it on the component, believe it or not, which is kind of interesting. Oh, um, for sure, you yeah. could do. Because that allows you to like side load it while you're lazily loading the component and such. So you're talking about keeping the, for example, the query for your data separate from the component that actually needs it. Is that right? Because then you can basically load the component up um, lazily while you're also like in parallel fetching data for it. Mm-hmm. Um, if you make you it a static property of that component, it. exactly. Yeah. Um, some of the things I've been thinking about with after. Um, so so let's, so let's talk about after um, because you know it's it's built as kind of a a Razzle plugin is that right? Yeah. So initially when I did it I was kind of lazy. Well, initially when I did it I was like okay like there was I'm gonna just do some I'm gonna take like Razzle and like I basically copy and pasted most like 85 percent of the code and messed with the paths mm-hmm. to like make it work with after and like make like just starting it up really easily and that's it was like basically. Immediately after I shipped it, I was like, that doesn't make sense to have two of my projects share 85% of the same code. Like, that's nuts. Mm-hmm. Um, so then I rewrote after with TypeScript and ended up just publishing it as the components parts mm-hmm. and making a starter, a sort of like a, a starter uh, example with, with Razzle. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so it took out the build system. It was sort of outside of the scope of the project and unnecessary. Mm-hmm. But um Still, yeah, exactly that. It basically gives you everything you need out of the box to have dynamic server rendering with React React Router uh, four and um, uh, lazy um, or code splitting yeah. so, uh, code split routes. Yeah, yeah, it's it's cool. You know, we uh, you know when we were writing the React Router docs, uh, I think at a certain point, uh, you know, Ryan just sort of kind of punted on it and was like, you know what. It, if you're if you're doing code splitting and you're doing server rendering, like good luck, basically, um, because there are a lot of there are a lot of questions there, right? Like, how do you, you know, are you going to code split based on routes? Are you going to code split based on the components? Um, what kinds of decisions did you make uh, when when you were doing after? 
Uh, that's, a, that's a great question. One of the things that in the initial project guidelines was that it must work well with TypeScript. And we use TypeScript all the time. I like TypeScript a lot. I'm excited to see where this Babel 7 plugin for TypeScript um, or preset goes. That would help a lot. But for the moment, like we're still using regular TypeScript compiler. And what that means is certain libraries such as uh, React Loadable, which is uh, really, really popular for code splitting, Mm -hmm. requires a Babel plugin. But for after, I wanted to make it so that it would work with code splitting, but not require a Babel plugin per se. So it would be compatible with our infrastructure. And that means basically that I used um, perhaps not as a, I, I used the Airbnb method, basically, mm-hmm. is what I like to call it. Uh, there's a great article on Medium uh, about how Airbnb does code splitting yep. now. Yep, I've read that. Um, and it's this very similar method to that, where basically you ensure the route is ready on the client. So you're not actually using Babel then? Nope, not well. Well, by default, you um, by default Razzle ships with Bab- Babel, but on our projects, we actually remove the plugin, the Babel yeah. plugin entirely because it slows it down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're using TypeScript. Yeah. Um, how how has that been going? I mean, that's I feel like that's a whole new like that's a whole new can of worms, right? <laughs> yeah, um, I probably need to write a blog post about it. But we, I was using uh, Flow, and. I think flow is a great, great thing, but you know, we took, we had like a, a moment where we looked at our, our, the number of third-party modules that we had in our projects that were typed by the community and versus the number of untyped modules. Mm-hmm. And if you've ever gone through the fun and pleasure of, of adding your types to code that you didn't write, um, it's, it can be painful and, and downright confusing to be, to be fair. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we looked at the TypeScript ecosystem and just, you know, if you go to Google as a proxy, if you go to Google and search like TypeScript versus flow type searches, or if you look at MP- NPM installs, you know, it's 10 to 12x the size. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so just from an ecosystem perspective, we, we like just looked at how many modules were had full community support mm-hmm. uh, or community types for, and it was like 85%. Yeah. And the other thing I'd say about TypeScript, and I think is, is nice, is that uh, Flow is really, really good. Uh, has better, it probably is, you'd say, better type inferencing. Mm-hmm. But what I found, at least, and this is just my personal opinion, is that by like trying to have better type inferencing, it sometimes means that the errors are not, like not co-located where the actual problem is. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas TypeScript, where it's like not as perhaps uh, as advanced of a type inferencing system, like it. It's wherever the error is, basically, is like where the type that wherever the, the 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 error message tells you it is, is like where it actually is. Mm-hmm. But that also might have been my like naivete about 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 flow in general. But no, that's that sort incredible. of was my experience with it. That's incredibly valuable, right? Like uh, just the it's it's so often like overlooked. But um, I think uh, Vijou was the one who first described it as you know, developer experience or DX, right? Like just, just, uh, uh, and, and I've seen, you know, lots and lots of stuff from people who will, you know, they'll, they'll like apparently Elm, uh, I haven't done a lot of Elm, but I've seen a couple of like Elm, uh, you know, screenshots from the compiler where it's just like, you know, in human language, like just really nice and telling you like, Hey, there's a problem with your code right here. You probably meant this or that kind of thing, you know? Absolutely. I think that's like, sorry, developer experience. That is like the pinnacle of it. Error messages are huge. I mean, yeah, when stuff goes wrong. wrong. Yeah. I mean, I, that was one of the things about react itself that, um, that I really loved, you know, I mean, 
previous to to React, you know, you might get a a blank page or or a, you know something wouldn't work, and and you open the console and nothing, right? Um, one of the things that I love the most about uh, React is you just get these nice error messages right there in the console. Absolutely. Also, React empowers like library authors to write great error messages. Like one of the things like yeah, Informic that I do. The community is like, has followed suit, right? The community has yeah, sort of followed like, that example. Yeah. Exactly. Like um, what I use in Informic, this, it's a form library. If you forget to pass a certain prop, uh, which is very, like you need a name prop to for Formic to figure out like w- what field you're trying to operate on. Mm-hmm. If you forget that, like I just take the outer HTML from the synthetic event that React gives me, mm-hmm. and I print it to the console, and so I show you which input it is. Oh wow! Like so, that like one, that, that was one right there. That's it's the that one, that's one with that up. class name, and <laughs> exactly. That's awesome. So yeah, just but to to your point, like with TypeScript, it's like I don't know if they're 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 necessarily like like more human readable, but they just tend to be more lo- like co-located to the actual problem, mm-hmm. which is super 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 big. Um, and then you know, to be fair though, the biggest thing is the community. Like the TypeScript community is huge, mm-hmm. has all the Angular guys behind it and girls and stuff, and so that's awesome. Yeah, yeah, agree. So we kind of we kind of segued a little bit there into. Formic, didn't we? That was another uh, library that I wanted to that I wanted to talk to you about. Forms without the tears is the, yeah. the is the tagline for Formic. So I'd imagine in the in the line of work that you're in, you said you guys do a lot of client work. Um, there's probably a lot of forms. Oh yeah, yeah, yep. <laughs> and yeah. And so, yeah, so yeah. you were you were somebody who felt that pain firsthand and decided to scratch again, scratch your own itch. Exactly. So what happened was, uh, I think Dan tweeted this out. He was like, what was, what should we work on in React? And like context and state management, you know, the, the, the obvious ones were there, mm-hmm. but then also in the, res- like the gathered responses was forms at around the time of that, I was starting on this massive administrative dashboard, basically a big CRUD app too. And I was gonna have like 30, 40 forms and quite quickly it became obvious that like we should pick a validation library yeah. and just stick with that. Yeah. That was like step one. And then after that, it was like, um, I found this, com- this higher order component written by Brent Jackson, who, you know, is a, is a prolific open source like force at this point. For sure. Um, and it was, I think one of one was this example, he just had this like tiny um, higher, order, higher order component that was written with uh, recompose and it kept track of, value and 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 um values and touched and it was for like a form and it was pretty cool mm-hmm. and i started with that and then that sort of i i took out the recompose eventually and ended up building this like tiny helper that just kept track of values uh errors and touched state for all your inputs okay and it just initially i didn't even like pass context or anything like that it just passed down props mm-hmm. um and then you uh, pass down props for the state. And then also it had like, you could reuse ha- the handler. So um, you, well, it was pretty, in, in React, even in the docs, it shows you in forms, like if you want to uh, save some time, you can reuse the same change handler by using um, an ES6 um, trick where you take the event.target.name and you make that the the key at which you're going to update state, yep. right? Yep. And you pass that around. Yep. So that's basically what Formic did in the beginning. Then you just keep all the values and state of all the fields in the form. And you just wire that up. Mm-hmm. Um, 
uh, as needed. And then just again, it used the name, the name attribute. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, that was just like kind of working, left it uh, mm -hmm. sort of with all our projects, sort of let it like we dog food it mm -hmm. um, on our own. And then I was like, okay, uh, it was like, it was, it was July 4th. And I was like, I think it's time to, to, to really, uh, to push this out. So I pushed it out and it, from, from there, it sort of grew into a whole different animal. Now that's does stuff with arrays, which was the biggest, the, the latest release. And now there's this cool pub sub thing I'm working on. And you've got with Formic, you decided to offer both. You've got a higher order component here and you got a render prop. Yeah. So first it was a, it was a higher order component. Then it was a render prop when I, I sort of saw the the light. Um, <laughs> yeah, man. And it still it still is a high order component, and yeah, yeah. Um, but it's it uses the React router trick where you can make a high order component with a render prop. A render prop, nice. So so how has so you're writing all your forms with Formic now? Yeah. Uh, well, I wouldn't say that. So like, I think Formic. I think people want Formic to be the like for every single form, but I really still think it's for about eighty five percent. Yep. I like that. So some forms you're just going to say, you know what? I just don't need this. Well, I mean, uh, yeah, yeah, yes, absolutely. I mean, so, I mean, I say that about some apps, right. That, that don't need react router. I'm like, like I built several apps without react router after having written react router. Right. It was like, you know what? This app just doesn't need it. Like it, there, it's a single page app or it's a, or maybe it's got like one or two pages, right? Like it's not a big uh, thing that needs a lot of like routing. I mean, when you talk about, uh, you know, the router, you, we can prevent navigation and we've got like, you know, prompts and things like that and, and, and redirects and things. And, and if you're not doing any of that kind of thing, like maybe all you need is a couple of links, right? Totally. Um, you know, being able to, I, th I think some, some examples of things like you don't want to use format for, like if you have like a search bar, mm -hmm. right. Like, or like if there's no validation, mm -hmm. um, Yes, it's a very quick way to to wire up um, bidirectional state, mm -hmm. but at the same time, like maybe I just need a couple of default values, and then they submit, and much. we're fine. You know, exactly. There are there are times when it, it's it's probably overkill. Mm -hmm. So you'd say it works it works best in situations when finish that you want to have extremely rich validation um, and logic without the boilerplate. Yep, I like that. I like that. Um, and so you said you were building it actually for like a big dashboard. Yeah. Well, it was like a big crud app yeah. that was like, thir like probably 15 or 16 uh -huh. unique yeah. views uh -huh. with forms. Ooh. And so Ooh. with like lots of business logic and stuff. Ooh. And so <laughs> it was, it was, it wasn't one of those things where like there was a, I'm cringing over here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it, it was one of those things where it seemed like very, almost day three it was like oh my gosh we need to yeah. standardize this yeah. first it was and we started at the bottom we started by standardizing our inputs and in our css class and then all, all that and then i was like well we really need to figure out how we like get the data into our forms mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um and standardize that too because mm -hmm. um, that's basically the, the three things that formic like really 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 excels at is helping you put a process around transforming your uh, props into form state mm -hmm. and then getting the form state back out, mm -hmm. um, whether that's setting up to an API or using that elsewhere in your application. Mm -hmm. Like that's, and just by, and then I love by it. doing so, 
as a second order effect, you end up standardizing your inputs and making those super reusable because mm-hmm. they all have the same interface and like they're you know little things like a different name for a change handler in your or, or for a prop like can be really annoying to keep track of mm-hmm. like across a code base or across a team. Mm-hmm. So just like by standardizing that too, you end up getting like a lot of benefit from just doing those little things. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's sort of where it started and and grew from. Cool. Yeah, I like uh, naming things, right? Consistent naming of things is huge, uh, especially when you're working on a on a team. Well, awesome. So, so we've man, we've covered a lot of ground. I feel like we've talked <laughs> about uh, you know just about just about uh, everything that that you're working on these days. Is there is there anything that I have left out? Just browsing around your GitHub page, there's uh, oh, oh. <laughs> there's React functions. Oh yeah, that one's pretty cool. Yeah, it's it's fun. That 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 was like what ended up happening was um, fun fun fact for those listening. I started working on that while I was at a React training uh, seminar. So, oh um, nice, <laughs> yeah. So I, I I dropped in on Ryan's seminar in the city. Okay, um, and there was a part of it where he was going over. It was been the scroll component, cool, which is a render prop, cool. and I was like. Uh, scroll this would be uh and i had just in a, in, in a couple other applications done my own like geo position component that's also was also very similar to the one being demonstrated and so i was like somebody should just get all go through mdn uh, the, the mozilla developer docs and just all like those imperative APIs, rent, right all of them and just knock them out and then i would and then like that would be easy to install mm-hmm. uh because i had like geo position in like four different projects yeah. of mine yep and so that's where I was like, ah, I should probably start this out. So you've got geo position, you've got scroll position, you've got yeah. you know media queries, listening to those things. Um, you know the, the the network online offline uh, APIs. You've got so so many uh, you know imperative APIs that the browser has built in, and you've basically taken them all and made them uh, you know just wrapped them in React components. Never have to do it again. Now I've got a component for that, right? And that's what's so beautiful about React. Um, it just makes that you know you, you you're talking the at the New York meetup. You touched on this like by remove by just by by making anything that seems imperative, you can put it into its own component at this mm-hmm. point. And I think that's such an awesome awesome mm-hmm. paradigm and way to look at the to to way of looking at UIs. Yeah, it's you know, and and it's just like building little little abstractions on top, right? Like we don't need to build like a ton of stuff, but if I can just make a little component that models this imperative behavior in a declarative way, now it's, you know, super reusable. I can give it to somebody else. They can reuse it in their app. And and I can also, what, one other thing that I love about using these components is, you know, if I'm looking through your render method and I see a network component or a media component or, you know, a, a scroll position component, right? That these these components that are modeling these imperative behaviors, uh, it immediately communicates to me what that component is doing. You know what its job is um, instead of instead of just like a on scroll handler or a you know on uh, or, or or some like code hidden away in a component did mount that's doing you know some imperative work. Uh, you know, listening for network changing or for a query string or sorry, uh, a media query changing or, so, or something like that. So yeah, that's, that's awesome. That's super awesome. Yeah. I, I think, I think it's one of those, um, 
I always strive to be very declarative and, 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 and whenever I'm writing, I move stuff to the render method. I think it's going to be really interesting. I'm curious about your take on this too. Uh, when the async um, stuff lands Ooh. and what and, and the stuff that's going to move into render that has traditionally hasn't been there. Yeah. You, you know, it's funny. Um, the more I talk to the React team about the async stuff that they're doing and the more I like I'm watching the the RFCs coming through and the, you know, the React.js RFCs repo, um, the more I'm, I'm reading through and learning about really what they have in store. I'm looking at the entire React ecosystem and I'm thinking a lot of this is going to change. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> you know? It's, uh, it's going to be, it's going to be. Yeah. It's yeah. world changing. Everything needs to sort of change to become async aware. And, and, and I don't want to, I don't want to alarm anybody and say that like stuff's going to break because it's not the, the React team. Everything is going to break. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, no, there's, I think there's going to be different problems. And I think that's a big, that's a big deal, yeah. right? Because we have so many components and helper libraries mm-hmm. and patterns mm-hmm. that have emerged to solve this like React synchronous problems. Mm-hmm. Well, and, there, um, and I just think that, yeah, there are yeah. different patterns emerging uh, as everything, as, as we start to put async first, right? Um, so for anybody listening, um, you know, I should probably you know, say what we mean by async. Um, I mean, as far as, as far as I've seen, uh, basically, you know, asynchronous in react or, or the, you you know, you've also heard of react fiber. It's basically the, the ability that react has to, um, basically to prioritize different kinds of rendering. Right. And so, you know, some rendering, uh, is, is higher priority, um, and some has lower priority. And, uh, some rendering, you know, needs to happen after, you know, you do a fetch for some data and, uh, you know, maybe it's, maybe it's, um, or, you know, a fetch for, for an image and you decode the image in the browser and only then are you actually ready to render that thing. Right. And so, so, you know, traditionally, um, you know, we haven't really, uh, at least not to my knowledge, front end, uh, UI JavaScript frameworks have, haven't really, tackled that problem head on or, or, or haven't really, um, invented any really good primitives for solving that problem. Right. It's just kind of like, well, you know, if you're going to fetch an image and it's going to display, um, you know, put a height on it so that you won't trigger a relay out when that image finally loads. Um, can we, can we do better than that? Right. Can we, can we avoid the flash of content, um, altogether? Um, and, and how can we do that? Some, obviously, you know, some fetch operations, uh, and, and it's hard to generalize because some fetch operations, you want to sort of show a change immediately. Some you want to do in the background, some you want to delay until the data that, uh, that you want to display is, is ready to show. Um, so anyway, anyway, uh, there are a lot of things to think about. I, I just think that, um, the, the one thing that I think is really going to, to sort of save us and make this whole thing very, very easy uh, is the fact that we are all programming with components now. Um, and people who, who've listened to anything else that I've said uh, are probably get tired of hearing me say this, but like just use components, right? Um, if, you, if you're using uh, components, uh, then you're, you're programming within the React paradigm right? You're programming within the React model. Um, and the React team themselves are going to be shipping 
components uh, to to help address some of these problems and to help to solve uh, some of these problems. I think we saw in the uh, in the new context context sorry API uh, that Andrew Clark uh, proposed, um, which uh, was based on a, a the React broadcast API. You know, it's it's just it's just components uh, with a render prop. Um, and, uh, I think that as long as, you know, as long as you're building components, as long as I'm building components, as long as people are building their apps with components, the, uh, the path to migrate forward will be fairly clear. And, and it also makes them a lot easier to, you know, to automate that process, do things like code mods and things, you know, because. Yeah, I think they're going to need to do some of that for yeah. sure. The code mod stuff, yeah. like. I think I think the thing that gets me kind of like my mind really spinning is moving fetches into render. Yep. Like that is that seems so antithetical to what I'm used to seeing mm-hmm. and yet such a good idea at the same time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just like I don't know, finally getting used to looking at react looking at a component and knowing where everything is. Absolutely. I mean, I don't know, you know, I don't know shoot, but yeah. the, but then moving some of that logic into render is going to be wild, I think. Yeah. Um, it'll be it'll be exciting to see how it all plays out. I think uh, I think you know some of that stuff. It's it's already into uh, the React code base. Some of it is is going to be released in sixteen dot three, and then um, and then you know even more in in the next major version. So yeah, like thinking about what React eighteen or nineteen is going to look yeah. like is is a fun exercise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it's it's certainly a cool uh, quite different a cool pro- look. There's big money on the line from if if you're Facebook, if you're you know if you're mm-hmm. in 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 really pushing the limits to this to this stuff. Mm-hmm. And certainly, uh, async rendering is going to be a, open the door for a, 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 an enormous amount of new UI uh, possibilities. I, I'm personally just stoked that that uh, the Facebook team is actually you know thinking about these problems and solving them. Uh, on, on a fundamental level because you know they're 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 not scared of it like they're not just punting on it they're not pretending like these problems don't exist they're they're facing them head on and saying okay so how do we you know how do we take that user experience that we've got right now on the web and take it to the next level and maybe we can provide a couple of primitives that are going to help people um you know to to be able to you know we used to say that React, you know, helped you fall into the pit of success. Um, well, there's still like this very scary async land where, you know, it's not very easy to fall into the pit of success. And I think, uh, I think maybe they can make that a little bit easier with, uh, with a couple of components. Um, my goal actually is, one of my goals is to get Andrew Clark on here before too long. Uh, I've already talked to him about coming onto the podcast and get him on here and, and just really, he's working on some cool stuff. Yeah, just really dive deep into like, okay, so what you know, what what is this going to look like, and and you know, what are the what are the problems that they've been that they've been facing? All right, well, Jared, hey man, it is always a pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much for uh, for coming on the podcast. And um, anything uh, anything else that you wanted to kind of give a you know give a shout out or say anything else before we wind it up? No, I think that's uh, covered it. You know, I'm truly, truly thankful that. Uh, took the time out of your day to, 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 to spend on me. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. No worries. So, so, uh, again, Jared Palmer, he's with the Palmer group in New York city. He's Jared Palmer on Twitter. I believe I followed you like a long, yep. long time ago. So I, I forget the, uh, the Twitter handles, Jared Palmer on Twitter and on GitHub. And thank you so much, Jared. And we will see you next time on the react podcast. <laughs>